Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Partly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, the fallout continues from yesterday's primary. Long lines, not enough voting machines, machines not working, no backup paper ballots. Now the question is, how to prevent these issues from occurring again? We'll hear two different reactions. I know the Secretary of State's office has worked tirelessly in preparing for this election. I think there's responsibility on both ends. However, at Common Cause Georgia, we are calling for the resignation of the Secretary of State. Those conversations coming up in just a moment. But first, many Georgia voters faced hours, I mean hours, long lines for yesterday's primary election. Polls opening late, machine failures, and yes, COVID-19 contributed to the delays. Now, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger also says he's opening an investigation into how Fulton and DeKalb counties in particular handled the election process. Meanwhile, Fulton County Elections Director Richard Barron had a lot to say last night. We need to make sure that we all have the resources to go forward and we need to make sure that we get the support from the Secretary of State's office. And we need the Secretary of State's office to be involved in that process and show some leadership and not point the fingers at the counties and view us as partners in this process. There's a lot we're going to get to. Stay tuned. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Here's the question. Is there confidence in Georgia's overall voting process? That is the major question after Tuesday's primary as a number of issues occurred. Now, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger also says he's opening an investigation into how Fulton and DeKalb counties handled the election process. Fulton Elections Director Richard Barron had this to say in a press conference late last night. All I'm doing is looking forward to finishing the job of this election and looking forward to seeing what we can do better going forward. Uh, Whatever Secretary Raffensperger's opinion is, it's his opinion. It's his opinion alone. And he can say whatever he wants. I disagree with him. I think he's the head election official in the state and he can't wash his hands of all the responsibility for this election. So that's pretty much where I'll leave that question. Meanwhile, we'll continue with reaction. And joining me now is Anna Dennis, executive director of Common Cause Georgia. Anna, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me this morning. You know, the very first line in a statement that you all put out was this. I'm going to quote you here. Quote, the obstacles that Georgia's voters have faced in this election are simply unacceptable. That is the first line. From that, I'll just ask you, what do you make of what happened yesterday? Yesterday, 
as a Georgian, as a Atlanta native, as a person who loves voting um, in Georgia, who's been going to the polls uh, since I was a little girl with my grandparents, with my parents, a person who registered at 17 and a half um, and registered my high schools um, to vote, I'm very disappointed in yesterday. Yesterday was a predicted train wreck. Um, Georgia Common Cause, we have urged and petitioned and strategized and talked with community members, with advocates. We have petitioned the state um, to make the process better beforehand because we knew some of these hurdles and barriers that we saw yesterday. We knew this was going to happen. Inherently, when you have new technology, new machines, there are things that are going to go wrong. There are scanners that are not going to work. There are poll books that are going to go down. Um, there are certain counties that on Saturday morning, they're sending out emergency requests to have 250 poll workers. We know that we are in a pandemic. We know that COVID is very real. We know that a lot of people are fearing what could happen to their own health safety. And we have essential workers who are poll workers essentially right now and the state had not made provisions of asking state employees to actually become poll workers. And so we had this mass shortage of poll workers to the point where there are certain precincts that did not open. We had mass precinct consolidations where precincts that used to be five are consolidated now into one. You have over 16,000 people to that precinct and people are wondering, why did we have long lines? Mm-hmm. We had six hour to four hours long lines because of these types of issues, but all of this could be pre- prevented. Back in January and back in February, we petitioned and strategized with the state on getting relief for absentee balloting when it came to being inside of a precinct. We asked for relief to have more provisional and emergency ballots for a precinct. We asked for 25% of a jurisdiction's population. We asked for those ballots. However, the state said they would have 10%. But yesterday, we saw that there were certain precincts that only had 20 emergency and provisional ballots, and their machines were down. And so they said to voters that the, only the first 20 voters can vote by paper. That could have been prevented. So, And that's where I want to jump in here for a moment, because I know that you all, along with the Brennan Center, you said you warned the Secretary of State's office back in January. Now, of course, no one could have predicted the pandemic. So now on to the question is that I have for you is, after it was clear that there were going to be some delays and rescheduling of the primary, did you all have any additional conversations with the Secretary of State's office in terms of saying, hey, what is the plan or here are our suggestions because now you have to deal with COVID-19. Did y'all go back and make some additional suggestions once it was clear Georgia would have to, like a lot of states, have to readjust and reimagine how they were going to do the primary? We did. We did. And we also had our members uh, petition the state. We also, as a coalition, as election protection, we tried to have conversations with the Secretary of State's office. And honestly, it just went nowhere. And it seems like it was kind of a washing of hands of, oh, it's not going to be that bad. But it's in our mindset, we're thinking, let's anticipate and plan for the storm. Let's plan for it because a storm most likely would come because we're seeing what's happening in other states. So let's get ahead of this. 
and there wasn't more preparedness on the state's behalf of getting ahead of it. What we saw on Tuesday is that it seemed like there was a political ping pong where the state is blaming the counties. The counties is saying the state didn't give us what they need. The legislators saying, well, we're going to investigate these counties as well. So with this political ping pong, the person or the people who are disenfranchised are actually the voters. They're the pong in this. And they had that voter experience of waiting six hours in line. I literally spoke to a voter on Friday when I went to an early voting site with my daughter to do some monitoring, actually asked the precinct manager at this point in time, what did he need mm -hmm. to make it more efficient and what help was needed from advocates at this point? How can we be a benefit and a help as election protection? Um, and talking to a voter, she told me that she's actually a healthcare worker who's because of COVID, she's gone to North Carolina to help out the situation there. And she requested an absentee uh, ballot and she never heard back from the county. And so she had to come back to Georgia to vote early. People forgot that now that we have um, uprising when it comes to protesting, there uh, were curfews were instituted. And so the curfew two weeks ago was actually for at 4.30. And then our curfew moved last week to seven o'clock. So a lot of folks were not able to actually get out and vote during early voting um, in a time frame if needed because they actually have to still do their own work hours mm -hmm. because we don't have paid sick leave here and we don't have instituted state voting leave here. So people actually had to be working during their working hours and were not able to actually go out and vote um, before that curfew time. And so we have people waiting in line and we have this healthcare worker who actually came back down from North Carolina because she did not receive her absentee ballot. I spoke to a voter who uh, requested an absentee ballot and got an email back saying that her signature did not match. And we've been a part of in coalition around a signature match case of 2015. Mm -hmm. And so these are barriers that we're seeing that are continuing. I tell people that, no, this is not right now the Jim Crow South of the 1950s and 60s, and we're not counting jelly beans in a jar. But when you're not sending out a absentee ballot request, you're not actually looking at the email of an absentee ballot request, and you're not putting more ballots in a precinct when advocates have told you and forewarned that this may be a huge issue come election day just because the size of the population has grown in these counties. And if you're not honoring and actually doing what's the best for Georgia voters, mm -hmm. this is a form of voter suppression. That's why we saw the train wreck of what it was. And we have the state saying, oh, it was a good day in Georgia. Elections were fine. No, it was not fine. And we have to do better for November. And we have to do better for August. The voice you hear is Anna Dennis. She's the executive director of Common Cause Georgia. And we're getting reaction based on what happened yesterday here in Georgia. Uh, in the primary election. Uh, Anna, I want to go back to something for a moment because you all are calling on the Secretary of State to form a task force. Take that further for me. What do you all want this task force to be tasked with? Yeah. So with this task force, we would like the state, election officials, communities, advocates, we need to all come together to create our preparedness plans. We don't need to be waiting a month 
or weeks or two weeks or days before to do emergency planning. We need to sit down and actually work out plans together to make elections more efficient for Georgians. Let me get your thoughts on this, because as you mentioned, the Secretary of State's office put a lot of the blame on county elections officials and then vice versa. A lot of finger pointing, a lot of blaming from your viewpoint and through common cause. Is there greater accountability that lies with the Secretary of State's office, the counties, a little bit of both? What's your take? I think there's responsibility on both ends. However, as Georgia, Common Cause Georgia, we are calling for the resignation of the Secretary of State um, because this could have been a better process when it comes down to mechanics of who owns the control or the power over the machines. The Secretary of State's office has said they wanted to handle that. So they've taken that responsibility from the counties. So we are asking for the resignation of the Secretary of State because of these um, these barriers that we could perceive that could happen and the blatant disrespect and the blatant voter suppression and barriers that were instituted on Tuesday. Someone listening says, well, what's to be gained from asking the Secretary of State to resign when odds are he's not going to do that? What could be gained mm-hmm. is actually more trust in the election system of Georgia. Right now what we're seeing is that I think about how I have a young daughter and I want her to love elections and love the process of voting as much as I love it. Mm -hmm. But I have to think about what if she was a teenager who is 17 and a half and who's just registered to vote and they're going to be voting in November. Would she actually trust our election system after what she saw on Tuesday? I think about the uh, disabled voter who had to wait in a six hour line um, to vote and to get to a voting booth and to find out, hey, I can't actually use this optical scan system or this um, electronic balloting system. I can't use it and there are no paper ballots at my precinct. I think about those types of voters and I'm thinking about the trust that we need to have in our system of voting because voting is a part of democracy and everyone has a right to have a fair, equitable election. And yesterday was not a fair, equitable election process. And Anna, as we wrap up, may seem like a silly question, but how much confidence do you have that Georgia officials can get this corrected before the runoff, because there are some runoffs, or even November? My confidence is that I have, I'm a very optimistic person So I have hope that they will be willing um, to look at the lessons learned from yesterday um, and be willing to sit down at the table with community advocates, um, community members, coalitions, and work out preparedness plans for November. So I'm going to stay optimistic that we all see the lessons learned of yesterday of how we can make Georgia elections more efficient and better and that there will be a willingness to do so. Anna Dennis is Executive Director for Common Cause Georgia. Anna, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. WABE's Dennis O'Hare spoke with Gabriel Sterling. He's a statewide voting implementation manager. Welcome, and thanks for taking the time to join us on a busy day for you. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Just real quickly, um, Secretary Raffensperger said, okay, this is all on the counties. But when you look at the differing kinds of problems with not just what the county did in terms of counties did in terms of training, but when you look at some of the mechanical problems, particularly with the check-in machines, well, is this that, something that's, that's where... Really, it comes down to 100% training, training, training at the county level. The but isn't thing... the Secretary of State's office responsible for training the trainers? Yes, and we did that. And 150 counties pretty well got it figured out. One county, Fulton, really did, as we have gotten used to over the decades, drop the ball. Literally last night, Richard Barron on WSB-TV told them the first time many of their poll workers had ever touched or seen these machines was yesterday when they showed up to work. But there was also the issue of how many workers they had to replace in a hurry because of COVID-19. So how fair is it to say, oh, they they just couldn't plan when they were scrambling to replace people? Hey, listen, everybody was dealing with COVID-19. We all knew that. When we asked Fulton repeatedly, how are you on people? How, we're good. We're fine. We're good. So we, can't, we don't have direct oversight on counties on how they deploy their resources and how, and how they train directly. We give them all the stuff to train. Every other county got that level of training. The vast majority got through it. There was literally no mechanical issues with anything yesterday. Once a tech got there and saw that they had set it up wrong or they hadn't been trained on how to encode cards, I mean, one of the big issues we had was People were literally trying to encode cards upside down. All they had to do was flip it over, and that's the very first thing in our checklist of troubleshooting. They didn't do it. The counties were supposed to have backup paper ballots, and in many precincts, they didn't. It's a state rule, 10% of the voting population. I mean, we've laid out all the rules. We gave them all the equipment. We hit every mark on this thing. We did four rounds of training pre-COVID. But let me give some grace to some of these counties. It's very difficult to do hands-on training during COVID when you can't have more than 10 people in a room. We understand that. A lot of counties found ways to deal with it. Fulton, unfortunately, as we've gotten used to, didn't. The other thing they did that was extremely difficult, they were stuck with losing a lot of precincts, and they chose to make mega precincts, which we said was a horrific idea. (laughs) We told them to try to find other locations, and they simply couldn't. But then you had 16,000 people voting at one location, so there were going to be lines, especially when they started off really rough in the morning. But by around lunchtime, all the things with the equipment that were the training issues had been fixed, and they started working through the lines. But when you only allow four to six people into the voting space, it's really hard to get down the line of 400 people. And that was a COVID situation as well. So we need to look at it in the context of COVID, but also in the context of the issues surrounding Fulton County itself, which we have been talking about for a very long time. It may require some extra legislation to get some real teeth into this because they paid hundreds of thousands of fines over the years for just basically fi- violating state election law pretty consistently. So are, are you saying, and, and, and I apologize because we're, you know, our, our time is a little tight here, but do, are you saying that particularly with the absentee ballot delays that where many voters didn't even get them on time, that there is no responsibility at all for the secretary of state's office when I'm quite sure had things gone smoothly, the Secretary of State would have said, hey, you know, it was because of our leadership. I would say two things. We are in partnership with the counties. The law gives us certain responsibilities. The law gives them certain responsibilities. And what I've said to them repeatedly, and the Secretary said to them, is your success is our success. Our success is your success. Your issues are our issues, and our issues are your issues. We are a symbiotic team. 
What I'm saying in this particular instance is one county made it look really bad to the rest of the state and nation when most of the counties did their job well and worked their tails off through COVID to get this stuff done right. And it's unfortunate. I hate it for them. But Fulton County, out, out from the jump, now I'm going to give them a little bit again. They had a worker die of COVID, and that was terrible. They had their head of voter registration who was over absentee balloting recover from COVID. So they lost about the first week. But every Friday, they said, we're going to catch up on the absentees. We're going to catch up on the absentees. Another thing we discovered late in the process was they had absentees applications that were mailed into them, and they had ones that were emailed into them. They made the conscious choice to only process the mailed-in paper ones first. So if you, mail, if you emailed yours in on April 2nd, many times you weren't put into the system until May 26th. And everything that was put into the ENET system, in Fulton County specifically, so over 126,000 were put in. Very quickly. From our vendor, real quick, 99.96% of those were delivered to voters. Very I mean, quickly. If and they I put apologize. it in, we got it done. I apologize. We're running right up against a, a, a hard stop here. But uh, according Richard Barron flatly denies what you were just saying about the, the emails. Well, it's really difficult because we have emails from them saying that. I mean, Ralph Jones did that. We, we know that they were behind on these over and over again. I mean, they, they told us that. They literally have told us that repeatedly. And we know that because all the email applications that were sent in the beginning of April were not put in until the end of May. We can see those applications. It's in the ENET system. It's pretty straightforward. And like I said, of everything they put in, we delivered 99.96% of them to the voters by USPS track, 126,000 ballots. Gabriel Sterling is the chief operating officer for the Secretary of State's office. Listen, we really appreciate you taking the time, again, on a very busy time for you. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks, y'all. And you can hear this conversation along with others on WABE's Political Breakfast, hosted by our own Dennis O'Hare. Closer Look returns in just a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Machine failures, long lines, and the delayed opening of polling locations. Yeah, there were just a few of the challenges many Georgia voters experienced at the polls yesterday. Who's to blame? Who's at fault? Well, that depends on whom you ask. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger says he's opening an investigation specifically into how Fulton and DeKalb counties handled all of this. Fulton Elections Director Richard Barron had a lot to say last night in a press conference, including this. All I'm doing is looking forward to finishing the job of this election and looking forward to seeing what we can do better going forward. Uh, whatever Secretary Raffensperger's opinion is, it's his opinion, it's his opinion alone, and he can say whatever he wants. I disagree with him. I think he's the head election official in the state and he can't wash his hands of all the responsibility for this election. So that's pretty much where I'll leave that question. As for the racists, 
Well, some of the results are final. Some may go to runoff and some votes are still being counted. Joining me now to share his perspective on all of this is Jake Evans, a Atlanta-based attorney and chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association's Georgia chapter. And he's a regular contributor to Closer Look. Jake, good to see you on Zoom again, man. Rose, great seeing you too. And I appreciate the invitation. A lot of a lot of stuff to break down today and a lot of stuff has happened last night. Absolutely. Jake, let's just start with your overall reaction in, in terms of what happened yesterday throughout the state of Georgia. What's, what's your take on all this? Sure. So we are in very unique times, as all of us know. Um, if you just look in Georgia right now uh, and really across the nation and world, we're fa- facing a global pandemic. Um, this was the first major election where we had our new voting machines, which came out. Um, and it was also a, a record-breaking year, a record, record-breaking election as far as the number of absentee and mail-in ballots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a lot going on um, across the state and really focused on a couple counties, primarily DeKalb and Fulton. There was a lot of issues. And Gwinnett, um, too. Yeah, that's right. And, and um and it's always, it goes back to that age-old dispute. And I will tell you, practicing and doing a lot of election law, uh, the way that it's structured in Georgia is you have the chief election officer who is the secretary of state. And the administration of elections is actually done at the local level. So each of the counties in Georgia has 159 counties. We have the second most number of counties in any state in the country, mm-hmm. uh, second to only Texas. But each county has their own election board. And the election board plans for the elections, they administer the elections, they prepare uh, each of the machines, um, they make sure that the proper people are, are there voting. Um, and so it's a very intricate process. What happened yesterday was a breakdown as far as the local training on the new machines. Um, most of it was logistical issues, not so much issues tied directly to the machines, but tied to how to use the machines and administering them properly. Uh, but it looks as though most of that's been addressed, and it looks like the, the number one thing will be ensuring it's addressed and it doesn't take place again in the November election. As someone who has studied election law, you just broke down uh, how all this operates in a state like Georgia. Would you agree that there should be a better process in working between the counties and the Secretary of State's office? Should the Secretary of State's office have some type of guidelines or some type of resources to help train? Every county is going to be different. Are you saying that that really lies with the counties to ensure transparency and then no one is making an accusation of, well, the state said we had to do this? What's your take on all that? Sure. I agree with you completely that there always need to be cohesiveness. Um, I'm a very results-driven person, and at the end of the day, results count. I know the Secretary of State's office has worked tirelessly in preparing for this election. Um, I know that they've done extensive training for each of the county boards, uh, election boards across the state. Um, I know they've prepared for that. Um, the reality is they can only do so much, and that and that is a reality. At the end of the day, at the, at the execution has to be at the micro level. Um, and they can prepare and do the, the strenuous training, which they have done. But people at the base level have to fulfill their, their roles. What I always say is everyone's got to check their box. Mm-hmm. I had a basketball coach. He always used to say that the center checks his box as the point guard checks their box. If everyone checks their box, we can have a cohesive, positive result. And at the local level, those folks have to check their box. 
because the Secretary of State cannot be there personally handing out every ballot himself. Um, but your point is a good one, which is at the end of the day, results matter. Um, everyone should take accountability for the results. And I think each of these folks, both at the local level and at the state level of the Secretary of State's office are gonna work tirelessly to making sure it's done in November. These are very unique times and these times are accentuated and uniqueness based upon the rollout of the new system. And I think uh, logistical issues presented some issues in certain counties. There are calls for an investigation. Speaker Rostin is calling for an investigation into, into how all this was handled, particularly in Fulton and DeKalb counties. You and I both know those are two counties that are heavily Democratic counties in terms of voter demographics. I think that's fair to say. Jake, can you understand someone saying this has become now finger pointing between the two major political parties here in Georgia? And at the end of the day, what's still being missed is what will happen to prevent this from happening again? Mm -hmm. And how do you get past the finger pointing and and the party blaming? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we live in a hyper-political world. No. Uh, we live, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it, we, it, politics has always been very political. I think the mass media is really accentuated. Um, and I think, you know, Stacey Abrams has launched the voter suppression initiative in that narrative, which has heightened it. Uh, the Secretary of State's office operates it with a very, very tight margin. There, There is no doubt about that. Um, Ensuring everyone has an equal opportunity to vote is a constitutional right, and it's the right that we should all take very seriously. The Secretary of State's office takes this right very seriously. Um, The extent to which certain counties that these events took place in, um, the investigations are helpful in order to identify why. There is no doubt in my mind that there was no malintent. There was no uh, political target on e- either of these counties. And I think the, the investigations will show that. I think the investigations will show re- what the real issues are. Um, what we have to focus on is we got to focus on identifying what the problems are, creating a solution and ensuring it doesn't happen again. It's very difficult to ever have a perfect game. And in all of my election cases, I say the similar thing, which is it's hard to have a perfect election. There's so many different moving parts, limitless different moving parts and limitless different moving locations. You're going to have some slip ups here and there, but we all have to focus on learning from it, improving from it. And I'm very confident that'll happen. The voice you hear is Jake Evans. He's the chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association's Georgia chapter and also a local attorney. And he's sharing his perspective on yesterday's primary. I want to go back to something you just said. You mentioned Stacey Abrams and the voter suppression organization. Let me ask you this, because you just told me you study election law. How do you define voter suppression? How would I define voter suppression? Mm -hmm. I would define it as laws um, decreasing the ability of certain individuals to vote. When you hear people talk about the issues, whether it's, we just had a conversation with Common Cause Georgia, Anna Dennis talked about problems that voters face, whether it's a signature not matching, whether it's closing a number of polling locations, this is pre-pandemic, that might have impacted the voters being able to get to a, a, a location within five miles. Those type of issues, Jake, when you hear that, do you 
Do you understand why people say this is all part of voter suppression? Intention or not, can you understand when people say this is why we have these issues? This is what we mean when we talk about voter suppression. Do you understand that that viewpoint? Uh, And and one of the most important things is always seeking to understand, in particular in this environment, um, seeking to understand other people's perspectives, other people's struggles. Um, one of the most important things, and again, I emphasized it earlier and I say it again, is that everyone has an equal opportunity to vote. Uh, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I am actually the only lawyer in Georgia history to successfully contest two elections. And I was the guy that overturned two elections in the same race because there was issues uh, with certain disenfranchisement. Mm-hmm. And so the balance with elections always comes down to this. You have to maintain the integrity of the voter process to ensure that only eligible voters can vote with providing equal opportunity and access for everyone to vote. And therein lies the rub, because if you get too strenuous of requirements, you can potentially make it more difficult to vote. If you get too loose or or too easy, too lenient, then anyone can vote. And so the balance is always there. And it's very important to always learn and see other people's perspectives and struggles. And that's why I think you bringing up the the story that you just said is important. Um, And I think the Secretary of State really has worked hard in in making that balance, which really is an impossible balance. It's almost a lose-lose, but it's an important point that we all have to consider. So give me an example, though, Jake. Give me an example where you feel Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has really created an initiative or an effort to make sure that voters, as you just put it, are partaking in a, a process that is rooted in integrity and fairness and non-discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I don't want to speak on his behalf, you know, and I'm not a, a But you just praised him. So if you're going to praise him, yeah, you can. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that he did was during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, he immediately uh agreed and started selling out absentee, uh, sending out absentee ballots to all Georgia voters. And he got a lot of pushback for that. I mean, there's a lot of pushback uh, in, in certain House leaders in the state of Georgia that said, no, 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 I don't know if we need to do this. We just need to push back the election. Well, President Trump was we not a fan of that. President it's, Trump it's is not true. a fan of sending out, allowing people to have the option of getting absentee ballots. That's just the fact. This is true. And so he, Secretary Raffensperger took that step early on. He wanted to take a firm initiative to make sure everyone had equal opportunity to vote. And it was a controversial stance within his own party. And at that time, he got a lot of pushback, but he did it because he thought he, he, he thinks that he thought it was the right thing. And I think it was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Jake, moving forward, you have been labeled as a, and I don't know if you still like that label, a up and coming voice to be heard within the Republican Party. You have said on this program many times that you feel that the Republican Party needs to do a better job of including those traditional voices that may not be affiliated with the Republican Party. But as it relates to voting here in Georgia, moving forward, what do you see needs to happen definitely before November that can be a a, a nonpartisan effort so that voters don't experience what they experienced yesterday? Well, that's a great question. I wish I had the complete answer to that question. I wish I was involved 
intimately into all everything that goes on. Um, planning and preparation is so important with elections because there's so many moving parts and there's so many things that are unforeseen. I'm a very results-driven person. Uh, for all the, I chair the state ethics commission, so I ever see people there. I chair on LA. Mm-hmm. I manage, you know, a lot of people managing cases, and I'm a bottom line type of guy. I want to see good results, and I really don't care about the rest. Now, my advice would be foreseeing all of the uncertainty, thinking about the things that you never thought about happening, which will happen because that's just the way elections are. Um, And then, as you said, I think it's a great point, working cohesively to the extent that you can with the county election board. They also have to take accountability. I mean, the reality is they are legally obligated to administer elections and they have to do that to the maximum extent they can. There's no doubt the Secretary of State has to train them and prepare them to the extent he can. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with them on administering elections and learning from yesterday, learning and synthesizing that data. And a a great piece of advice I once got was, it's okay to make the mistake once, but it's not okay to make the mistake, same mistake twice. Well, Jake, and you have have hammered that home during this conversation, but are you saying that the Secretary of State's office is totally absolved of any accountability in what happened yesterday? Yeah, I'm not, I I don't think they are. I, I think, as a leader, if you're the person at the top, you have to take accountability for the bottom line results. If you are a, a head coach and your wide receiver drops the ball, you can't blame it 100% on the wide receiver. You're the head coach. And I think Raffensberger is taking accountability that he is, he's done what he can. Um, and I think he'll continue to learn from this. And I'm very confident that the next go around, we're not going to have near as many hiccups. But he isn't 100 percent to blame. Uh, there are other people. The wide, there are wide receivers dropping the ball, and he can't force them to catch it. And putting 100 percent of the blame on him is not accurate nor fair. Now you're an SEC guy. Is that why you're using football analogy? Here? <laughs> I use football analogies too much. My you, fiance gets so mad at me for using those football analogies. Now you know I'm a sports I, fan, so I, I I could come back because you know they also got receivers. They got the receivers got coaches. You got the offensive right. coordinator, but it, they're all working under the head coach. So if the head coach yeah. has a spread offense and it ain't working, who gets the blame for it? The head coach. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I I think that's right. And I think I think the Secretary of State acknowledges that. Um, and I think they're going to learn from it, improve from it. And, and we, you know, we've, we've made a lot of strides in getting where they are, but you don't start out perfect on day one. Jake Evans is chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association's Georgia chapter, also an Atlanta-based attorney. Jake, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. I really do. Thank you so much. You got it, Rose. Thank you for the opportunity. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Now, one of the races that appears to be headed to a runoff, although at this time some votes still may be coming in, but that is for the Fulton County District Attorney's race. My colleague Lisa Ram spoke with Paul Howard earlier today, and now I'm joined by the person he's most likely to face, obviously, in that runoff, and that is Fonnie Willis. Miss Willis, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. 
No, I, I definitely appreciate you for having me here today. Um, appreciating you all covering this race and knowing that it is an important race. Well, before we get to the race, I just want to get your thoughts on the overall, <laughs> uh, some call it debacle, some call it chaos, but what happened yesterday and throughout Georgia in terms of the issues that Georgia, that Georgia voters face. What did you make of all that? Um, it, it was troubling to me to see that people had to stand in lines so long, um, as we know that this race is still not over, and that, of course, is troubling to me as well. Um, I am being told there are something close to 100,000 ballots uncounted. For my purposes, close to 70,000 of those are Democratic ballots. And so when you have that kind of the electric unaccounted for, those being both the mail-in ballots and people that dropped their ballots into those boxes yesterday, um, here we sit at noon, the day after the election, and we still don't know the results. And that is, of course, bothersome for me, but I think that also for the people, they want to know that things are going to run well. Um, People had to wait yesterday in line for four and five and six hours. And the same thing the Friday of the last day of early voting, we were getting those kind of reports. And thank God that those people stood in line for democracy and believed that it was important enough. But it does make you wonder how many had to leave because they only allotted two hours of their day and then they had to get back to their place of employment um, because those are the rules. And so we've got to do better. Georgia was on the national news. And the bottom line is we have to do better. Mm -hmm. They had three additional weeks to get this election ready. You remember we were supposed to go on May 19th. Mm-hmm. Three additional weeks, and um, it should have run smoothly. It should have run smoothly, and I think that in August when there's a runoff and in November that Georgia's going to have to do better, and there's just no two ways about it. Meanwhile, if your race is indeed headed to a runoff, and we all know, you and I both know as well, that often in a runoff the voter turnout drastically decreases, what will you need to do to re-energize your base or keep your base of supporters and maybe even try to sway new support? What will you need to do? Um, We're going to need to do something that we didn't get a chance to do the first time, which is really be in the community and talk to people. I spent a lot of time talking to people through, you know, paid media, through the television, through uh, certainly our mailer piece, through uh, phone conversations that I had. But the beauty of going into a runoff is we would actually get to talk to people. I think what you need to point out to your voters is that if you combine me and the third candidate's uh, electorate, over 60% of the electorate, the Democratic electorate, said no. They said no to corruption. They said no to someone that lies. They said no to a man that sexually harasses women. I believe what they said yes to was change. And I think that the voters know that, you know, you can't run half the race. You have to run all the race. And so we don't know the results of this uh race. But what we know overwhelmingly is that the Democratic voters of Fulton County said no to a regime of corruption. And what you just stated in terms of your opponent, obviously incumbent Paul Howard, those allegations, although in a court of law or have not been proven, but is that something you're going to continue to hit on? Or will you focus more on what you feel is the role of an effective Fulton County district attorney? 
Well, I, I, I think that we have to tell the truth, and so that is part of the truth. Um, and I agree with you that everyone um, gets due process and they get a court of law. However, at least in the case of the money, the district attorney has admitted that he took that money because he believes he should receive more, and all one has to do is look at the law. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I'm going to tell the truth about those allegations. But I certainly am also going to let voters know that what they're looking at in me is a lawyer that's been practicing law 24 years, They're looking at a lawyer that has tried some of the most complex cases that Georgia and certainly Fulton County has ever seen. They're looking at a lawyer who's had the opportunity to be a judge. They're looking at a lawyer that both has prosecutorial and um, defense under her belt and very recently under her belt. Um, They're also looking at a lawyer that has compassion, a lawyer that has integrity, and a lawyer that is here to fight for black people, white people, rich people, and poor. And so certainly we will focus on our message. But the reality is this. The incumbent has been sitting there 24 years. He has made that job about him. You can see that through the allegations of the money, the sexual harassment, when he chooses to bring certain cases and when he chooses not to. And I'm not going to tell half the truth. I'm going to tell all of it. We're in a space and a climate right now where there is a call for greater oversight, greater accountability, greater indictments and convictions as it relates to those officers who folks feel not only use excessive force, but tragically folks have died at their hands, particularly folks of color. What role do you see the district attorney's office being able to play in terms of, before you even get to convictions, getting indictments? Oh, I think the district attorney's office plays a crucial role. I am so glad that the country is saying that enough is enough, that we are not going to allow officers to be abusive to any portion of our citizenry. And so I think it will be my role as district attorney to do two things. One is to bring good indictments to make sure that we do the investigations, that we give the officers due process, and that when we find that they violate the law, that we certainly bring charges. And that will be my process. That will actually be my practice for all citizens, and it's not going to change for law enforcement. Um, One of my big criticisms about the office is now police bring cases to that office. They find probable cause, which you and I know is just a real low standard in the law, and then the office issues an indictment. Um, I am going to overhaul that office where we have a real investigative unit that really looks into cases. But once we find evidence, whether it is a layperson or a police officer, we are going to bring charges. And so I will be a prosecutor that brings those charges. I think being Atlanta and here in the Southeast is such an important office that it's going to do more than that. It is going to set the tone for the region that that is the correct way to behave and that is the right thing to do. And then certainly I'll be active also with legislators to ask them to make sure that police departments have proper oversight because the reality is this, and it's one not spoken of, many times prosecutors don't even know before there's something tragic that happens that this particular officer has six complaints, seven complaints. Mm-hmm. So the officer, the, the office is in the dark about that. I would definitely be behind a bill that was once complaints were sustained, not just because they were made, but once complaints were actually sustained, that prosecutors get to know that because we should make sure that when we're judging evidence, we know that we're judging it from a credible source. And so in every way, I will be a proponent for fairly prosecuting police officers, but also for fairly prosecuting anyone. Um, And I think that that's lacking. Fonnie Willis looks to be headed to a runoff against incumbent Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard. 
Miss Willis, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. On short notice, thank you for agreeing to the interview. Thank you for having me. Um, it, it was definitely a pleasure. And please continue to keep the uh, voters informed of this race and all the other races, because what we know for sure is that if not my race, some race will make it to that August 5th runoff. And we need to make sure that they stay, that vote, they, voters stay engaged and come back out. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rosca. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.